0: Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, February 16. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Jan Fran. Hey, Jan.
1: Hey, Tom. How's it going this morning?
0: Fantastic. Yourself?
1: Good. We're asking a uh, pretty big question today. Will artificial intelligence start or end? the next world war.
2: At the moment, the good guys are winning, right? We turned the tables, the attackers are on the back foot, and
0: it's good to see that we keep this momentum up. (laughs) You'll find out who the good guys and the bad guys are in the world of AI in just a moment. Uh, First, let's get into the big news of the day.
1: We're going to start in Canberra, and a young woman who was allegedly sexually assaulted by a fellow Liberal staffer at Parliament House has spoken out about her ordeal Brittany Higgins was allegedly raped by a colleague who took her to the office of Defence Minister Linda Reynolds after a night of drinking back in March 2019.
0: Yeah, the 24-year-old had only been working there for a few weeks and she told the project she didn't press charges for fear it would end her career.
1: This was my dream job. I had worked my entire life to get here. Um, I, I wanted this future. I, I wanted to be a part of it for my entire sort of working life.
0: Yeah, the man involved resigned a few days later for entering the office after hours.
1: From there, Brittany says that she became a political problem. Um, She also revealed that Senator Reynolds interviewed her about it in the very room where she was allegedly attacked. Now, yesterday, Senator Reynolds admitted that that was a mistake.
2: At the time of the initial meeting with my staff member, I was not aware of the details or the circumstances of the alleged incident in my office. Had I known, I would have conducted the meeting elsewhere.
0: Brittany Higgins is now looking at reopening a police investigation into the assault. Uh, Speaking before Parliament in response to this story yesterday, Scott Morrison says the reports are deeply distressing and that her views should be listened to and
1: respected. The Eagle has landed. The Eagle has landed. Look, it's not quite the moon landing, okay, but it is a major milestone nonetheless. Uh, Greg Hunt, the health minister there, is referring to the 142 doses of the Pfizer vaccine that touched down in Sydney. Here he is again. They will be able to begin with their priority for hotel quarantine. Uh, They will also be focusing on other border related workers, those that are most likely to come into contact with
0: positive international arrivals. Very good news. 50,000 will go to hotel quarantine workers, while another 30,000 will go to aged care facilities.
1: Yeah, 60,000 will also be set aside for second injections, because this is a a double vaccine. You have to get two, just in case there's any issues importing them rather from the European Union. Of course, all eyes are on Victoria at the moment. Uh, There's been one local case yesterday, which brings the cluster there to 17, The Premier reckons that the state is well-placed to end the snap five-day lockdown that they're in the midst of. As planned, Wednesday night, no guarantees, but things are looking good. Two Australian billionaires are in talks to run regional hotel quarantine in Queensland and Victoria.
0: Yeah, this is on the front page of the Australian newspaper. Uh, John Wagner and Lindsay Fox have proposed facilities in Geelong near Melbourne and Toowoomba, just west of Brisbane. Um, they're proposing to each tank up to 1,000 return travellers.
1: So Justin Giddens is the CEO of Avalon Airport in Geelong. He says it's a great idea.
0: You'd be able to fly people in and then have them effectively walk to their accommodation, which would be specialised. Here at Avalon, we've got a secure environment. It would take the step of busing people away. It would also allow for people to have access to outside so they could get fresh air.
1: Yeah, there's certainly um, been increasing talk from epidemiologists and also from state Labor leaders about revamping hotel quarantine, maybe putting it under federal control. So this is a bit of an um, an interesting proposal here. Both of these facilities will be close to existing airports and it's understood they'll be set up similar to the Howard Springs facility in Darwin. So this is an old mining camp uh, that's been repurposed for taking back international travellers. It's a fenced off facility. People are given their own cabins. There's a lot of outdoor space. They get to move around in the fresh air. And I mean, look, the NT's particular case, but they have not had any community transmission at all and not a single death. Not putting that down fully to the quarantine system, but it's a factor.
0: Well, the, the key difference with Toowoomba and Geelong is that they don't have the facilities yet, they'd have to actually build the Mm. accommodation. So this would be a fair way off, but they do seem like good facilities. Um, Part of the challenge is that they need to be near hospitals and health facilities for those people that come back and actually have COVID. So they are quite good locations because they're near major centres. And a federal court today will decide whether a Tamil family can stay in Australia.
1: So this family has received quite a lot of attention. Uh, people may know them as the Bilowella family because that's the name of the small Queensland town that they had settled in. And uh, The two parents, Priya and Nandez, along with their two Australian-born daughters of five and three years old, They faced deportation because they weren't granted refugee status. Uh, They were moved out of Biloela and into detention in 2018, um, first taken to Melbourne and then taken to Christmas Island where they've been since 2019.
0: Yeah, and last year a federal court ruled that the toddler had been denied procedural fairness throughout the ordeal and today we'll learn the outcome of an appeal to that case.
1: Yeah, now lawyers and supporters of this family argue that there's really no need for them to have been in detention. They've been there for more than a thousand days. And there's been figures provided to Senate estimates last month, which showed that keeping the family, so just keeping just four people detained um, in this facility is costing the taxpayer $1.4 million each year.
0: Yeah. And part of the story was, and and the reason they came to so much attention was that the people of Biloela love this family. And yeah, there's really, a
1: lot of community support, wasn't there? Yeah,
0: they really got around them and were really vocal in calling for Peter Dutton to make an exception for this family.
1: And world number one, Ash Barty, is through to the Australian Open quarterfinal for the third straight year in a row.
0: Yeah, I watched this match. It was great to see Ash Barty in action. She's just so focused and mm. clinical, such a strong player. She really had the wood on American Shelby Rogers. She won in straight sets, although she did drop her serve right near the end when she was going to win the second set, but then she pulled it back on track um, to take the match.
1: It's really exciting to be through to to another quarterfinal. I think if if you would have told me you know a few months ago when we were doing pre-season that this is a start to the year that we have, um, we'd absolutely take it with a massive smile on our face. So I think we, we come out here, we just have fun.
0: So the interesting background there is that she decided not to go and play the US Open and the French Open last year because mm. of COVID. So she basically didn't play all year. And here she is, back at the Australian Open, kicking ass.
1: Yeah, mate. She's become the first Aussie to reach the quarterfinal for three consecutive years since 1984. We back, baby.
0: We enjoy watching Kirios so much. So much of the focus has been on him, but we have the world number one and yeah. she's amazing. Yeah.
1: You're right. She's just so focused and low-key, sort of just gets on with it Solar a little ass, bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, she will face Czech star Karolina Mukova tomorrow. A win for Nadal as well. He took down Fabio Fognini in straight sets.
0: He did not muck around Nadal. He was on fire yesterday. Um, He'll be one to watch in the finals. All right, in a moment, we're talking about AI and whether it might cause or end the next world war.
1: The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. Tom, have a guess who said this. Vladimir Putin or Elon Musk. Ready? Artificial intelligence is the future of all mankind. Whoever becomes the leader in this space will become the ruler of the world.
0: You know what? It doesn't have like some internet-y acronym in it. So I reckon that was Vladimir Putin.
1: (laughs) It was Vladimir Putin. (laughs) Russian President Vladimir Putin said that in 2017.
0: Okay, so what has Elon Musk said about AI and warfare? So
1: here's how Musk actually responded to that particular right. statement. He said that competition for AI superiority at national level most likely cause of World War Three. IMO. Ah, oh, there we go. <laughs> In my opinion. So he's basically saying if anything's going to cause World War Three, it's going to be artificial intelligence.
0: And kind of agreeing with Vladimir Putin.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this whole thing sort of sounds like the plot of Several, in some cases, terrible action films. Earthman, your days are numbered. The machines are taking over. Please remain indoors. This is for your own protection. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Skynet fights back.
0: Three laws will lead to only one logical outcome. Revolution. Yeah, as you can hear from those films, our imaginations have been running wild with the idea of machines overtaking us and starting war.
1: But what is the real threat? posed by artificial intelligence here? And could it start, as Elon Musk predicts, World War III? That is today's briefing topic.
0: Here to discuss it is Max Heinmeier. He's a cybersecurity expert working for a company called Darktrace as a director of threat hunting. Quite a job title, Max. Um, what exactly is your job? Yeah, it's a
2: good one, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah. As part of Darktrace, um, I work with our research team and
2: our analyst team to look at the threat landscape. Our AI uncovers new and novel attacks, ransomware attacks, phishing, things that have never been seen before, really interesting cyber attacks. And we keep the finger on the pulse. And as the director of threat hunting, I'm overseeing these efforts. So I've got a very privileged position to see all of the interesting hacks that are happening out there.
1: So, Max, we often hear the term artificial intelligence um, used a lot. I find that no matter how many times it's explained to me, I, I still don't quite get it. Let's give it another go. How would you define artificial intelligence? What is it?
2: It's a way of using computer science to solve tasks that are normally solved by humans. And you can apply this to various things in computer science domains, cybersecurity. You can use it to increase revenue. You can use it to speed up your marketing. So it's basically using very clever algorithms in complex forms To do things that are normally done by humans, menial tasks, but also cognitive intense tasks. It's an extension of automation taken to the next level.
1: Can you just give us some examples of AI in everyday life that people, your average person would know and use, maybe without even knowing it's AI?
2: I'm sure many of us use Alexa, Echo, Siri, and they're all using voice recognition, for example. I'm sure many of us use some photo recognition apps, maybe Instagram or others, and often these use computer vision to automatically recognize faces, automatically recognize objects, tag them on Facebook, for example. Many people see cyber defense and use it in cyber defense in their everyday lives, underlying their infrastructure without even knowing it's there. So it's permitting already everyday life of every single person who's using digital environments these days.
0: Okay, so Elon Musk said a few years ago that AI would be the most likely cause of World War III in his uh, humble opinion. Do you think it will actually start a a worldwide conflict and and will it also play a role in the conflict if the conflict does start? I think there's AI for good and there's AI for bad. We see
2: that good AI can do tremendous great things like Dark Trace, use it to learn self and find cyber attacks and stop hackers dead in their tracks. But AI can also be used to exacerbate cyber attacks and other things. So it always depends on who's wielding this sword, if you want, and what it's being applied to. It's absolutely something we think about a lot here at Darktrace. We do our own research in what we term offensive AI, where AI is applied for bad to create bigger and more dangerous cyber attacks. And we can already see that cybersecurity is an extension of global conflict.
0: Okay, so let's play out Elon Musk's worst-case scenario how might AI cause World War Three? What, what would happen? What would be the chain of events, do you think?
2: There was a hack against a German hospital a few weeks ago where the hospital was rendered unusable for a few hours, basically, by something called ransomware. As the effect of this, a patient who was driven to that hospital had to be turned away to be treated somewhere else. On her way to this other hospital, she died. So this was a human hacking attack. This is something that's happening, maybe not with deadly effect every single day, but this is happening already. This is impacting people's lives. Imagine you could scale this up to 11, 20 or 50, where this doesn't just hit a single healthcare institution, but maybe every single healthcare institution in a country. And this is something that AI could be used for. It can be used to automate attacks. It can be used to scale up attacks. So I don't want to paint the writings on the wall here, But if you think about attacking critical national infrastructure, and it doesn't have to be hospitals, it could be water treatment plants,
1: Mm. nuclear
2: power facilities, then all of a sudden we're talking about something that can trouble a country to a great extent.
1: How much is this happening right now? I'm kind of trying to get a picture of whether this is, you know, a one-off thing or whether it's happening frequently and increasingly. Can you give us a picture?
2: It's definitely something that's increasing. We are doctors here. We have customers all around the globe and all kinds of industries, also the defense sector and government. And we see that these type of attacks are happening every single day and increasing. And it's not just the things you think about every day, like electric energy or power grids. It's also schools, right? If, if your children's school is shut down and they can't be schooled, that can have an impact on their lives. If that happens on a bigger scale, that can be very devastating for many young people. So it's definitely something we've been seeing rising, cyber attacks in general, but also these targeted, impactful attacks. That's definitely something that's been increasing in the last 18 months.
1: Would it be fair to say that we've handled it relatively well so far? Because you're saying this stuff happens every day. The people don't really, I guess, feel that. So on some level, it must be handled by governments relatively successfully. Are they doing an okay job in combating these kind of threats?
2: I think there's a lot of biases in there, right? If you're hit by this, if your school is being closed, if your hospital is um, falling back to manual operations and your wife can't be treated quick enough, then you will feel this impact very, very much, very quickly. But it's not happening on a global scale every single day, but this barrage is increasing. Mm. I think companies and governments are handling this increasingly well as they adopt new technologies like AI. This is really not a human scale problem anymore. This is something that's too fast and too complex already for humans to handle. So we need better mechanisms to cope with the scalability. And this is where AI steps
0: in for cyber defense, for example. We already have automated drones. Is that a taste of what's to come in terms of the kinds of weapons AI could be involved with in the future? It's definitely something that many big nations are investing in at the moment in automated
2: autonomous and AI driven weapon systems. So, this is definitely going to play an increasing factor. Any weapon system is increasingly complex, digitalized, and thus also could be hacked, taken over, maybe by other attackers, by other nations. So it's absolutely something that we're worried about. But that's not all. It's not the not just the obvious things like autonomous weapons or viruses spreading around. Think about deep fakes. Think about social media. Think about disinformation campaigns. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't get vaccinated because you know there's deep fakes that say you get sick. If you get vaccinated, which is complete
0: nonsense, of course. So what's the role of data collection in the threat of AI and and warfare? Because most of us worry the tech companies are are listening to our conversations just to sell us things. But should we be even more concerned about the personal data collected about us and and the the role that that might play in, in future warfare?
2: I think on an individual basis, we don't need to be too worried about this. Our lives are already broadcasted every single day, if we want to or not. It is extremely hard to completely disconnect from this. Big data collection is important in AI research. That's why it's interesting to see which nations are in this arms race and how they're going to create these data lakes and collect all this big data to fuel the AIs. So I don't think we need to be worried about this on a personal level, but governments need to think about how they drive their own AI research, how they can do it ethically and still preserving privacy of each and every citizen.
1: So like Elon Musk says, the countries that have the best AI will be, I suppose, best positioned in future conflicts. Who has the best AI? Who Who's leading this AI arms race in the world?
2: It is hard to say who the leaders are, but we see that they are, all the big nations you would expect heavily investing into it, like the US, like China, like Russia. So it's really unclear who's got the leading edge right now. And this is something that will only pay off in a few years time when the fruits of this AI research comes to bear. And what's important is not just to focus on cyber offense, more disinformation campaigns, more hacking, more cybersecurity aggression but defense superiority is gonna be key. So be able to defend your countries, your nation's critical infrastructure, your kids, your citizens. That is gonna be
0: key in a future cyber conflict. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The balance between offense and defense when you're talking about the use of AI. Could it in fact pan out that AI gives everyone such great defensive capability that the risks of the offensive capability are neutralized? You hit the
2: nail on the head. This is exactly what we're working towards here at Darktrace, spearheading cyber AI and being one of the global leaders in the field. We firmly believe that we have to fight fire with fire. We see that using AI for offense is the next coming paradigm shift. All of a sudden, it's going to be able to hit everybody, and it's going to be devastating. And to be able to combat this, you have to have AI in defense. And at the moment, the good guys are winning, right? We turned the tables, the attackers are on the back foot, yes. and it's good to see that we keep this momentum up.
0: Yeah, because some people argue that the bigger the weapons are, the less chance there is of having a war because the consequences would be so devastating. Is that the case with AI too? It is the case if we want to or not. So the research is going on, even if
2: we think the weapons are too big or too small. And it's important to keep this balance to be able to, like I said, fight fire with fire and keep offensive AI in check. Because if it hits, it's going to be too late to scramble and then try to get the defensive edge.
1: Okay, can I just ask, what do you think should be done to, I guess, limit the damage that AI could do? Like, does there need, do the United Nations have to decree something? Do how do we stop it?
2: I don't think it's a case of stopping it, rather than embracing it and mm. going with the flow, because it needs to happen on various levels. Cybersecurity in particular and AI research is not a national issue. It's a global issue. So governments have to keep investing into supply chains, have to make sure researchers can go and research in cybersecurity and AI especially. They have to make sure there's enough collaboration between nations to make sure the AI is done safely and securely.
0: Max Heinmeier, he's a cybersecurity expert for Darktrace. His job is Director of Threat hunting. Jan, good to hear him say the good guys are winning.
1: Oh, well, I'm glad there was some positive news uh, in that. Mm. It's kind of terrifying to me, especially given that he gave the example of the German woman who died because of a cyber attack on a hospital in Germany. I wonder if the more tangible we start actually feeling the effects of this kind of stuff, the more it'll, I don't know, raz us up to do something about it. Because right now I'm very of nonchalant like oh cyber attacks that's not really a thing is it but i guess it is
0: as he said like the defensive side of it's a huge part of it as well and it does sound like a lot of work's being done in that space as well so hopefully that continues to be stronger than the offensive side of it
1: so is it just the person who has the biggest weapons wins
0: and tomorrow on the briefing jan we're talking toilet paper
1: toilet paper we love it we use it why
0: Well, yeah, you you sort of thought this topic might die last year, but even with the snap lockdown in Melbourne on the weekend, people were going for the toilet paper again. We still have a thing for it. A
1: Podcast One production.